The reading is from Isaiah 49, verses 5 to 10, and you'll find that on page 669 of the Bibles. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honoured in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One says, to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see and stand up, And princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. I will answer you in a time of favor, and I will help you in the day of salvation. I will keep you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land, to make them possess the desolate inheritances, saying to the prisoners, come out. And to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the pathways, and their pastures will be on all the barren heights. They will not hunger or thirst. The scorching heat or sun will not strike them. For their compassionate one will guide them and lead them to springs of water. Our second reading is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13 found on page 1017, starting at verse 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Persia in Pamphylia. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Persia and reached Antioch and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, "'Brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people,' you can speak. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. Then, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land to them as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, according to the promise, God brought the Saviour Jesus to Israel. Before he came to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Then, as John was completing his life's work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one. But look, someone is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, Sons of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. For the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers, since they did not recognize him 
or the voices of the prophets that I read every Sabbath have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death penalty, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people begged that these matters be presented to them the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and persuading them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, It was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the message of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent women who worshipped God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Camilla. Thanks, Janet. It's good to be with you. I'm Andy, if I haven't met you before. Um, if, you've, uh, if you've just joined us this morning, we're working through the book of Acts. If you've been piking since March, then we're still working through the book of Acts, and we'll still keep going for a month or so to go. Um, this morning, we hit the first missionary journey of Paul, uh, outs- uh, first missionary journey of Paul, uh, and the first sermon outside of Israel. So we should have a map come up. Um, Paul goes from Antioch in the east down to Cyprus for some kebabs, up to Perga um, for Baklava, up to and then up to Pisidia, Antioch, where we get this first sermon. He does a bit of a, a figure of eight back 
and then uh, doesn't go back to Cyprus, back to Antioch. It takes two chapters. We've got a big, tall order uh, on our heads this morning, and it's no wonder Paul has gone and looked after Kresh rather than preached this morning. So um, why don't I pray for us, then we'll get stuck into it. Our Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a speaking God, that you have given us a message to proclaim in your world. Father, thank you that that message is worth it and you are worthy. And I pray this morning uh, you would give give us confidence to live it, to take it and to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like you, um, as we start this morning, to hop into your, an imaginary time machine. Flick on your flux capacitor and transport yourself back to AD 48, into the shoes of one of those early Christians. It's been 15 years since Jesus' crucifixion, and you have been given the task of sending Christianity global. How would you feel about that? Probably be pretty intimidated, wouldn't you? Probably pretty scared. You've seen Stephen stoned, you've seen James beheaded, you've seen countless friends arrested, banged up, just for being a Christian. And you've seen the government trying to shut this Christianity thing down by shutting Christians up. How are you going to do this? Probably feel pretty helpless, wouldn't you? You're a small cog in a small wheel. And it would be better off just to keep your head down and stick at your desk job at Ehud, Melik and Moore, that famous Jewish consultancy firm. Back to 2015. If you're a Christian here this morning, that's not too dissimilar from the situation that we find ourselves in, is it? Uh, We've been studying Acts since February, actually, and uh, we have learned that Jesus has given us that important job of taking the news of Jesus to the nations, to every man, woman, and child on the planet. You, you've been given that job. Pretty intimidating, isn't it? Pretty scary. You may work at an office or you may uh, have friends, and hardly anyone gives a hoot about Jesus. We see Christians being beheaded on YouTube, and we've seen our government trying to shut Christianity down, trying to extract Christianity from Australian public life with their SRE proposals and with the, uh, with the, the debate around same-sex marriage. It's pretty scary. No wonder many of us keep our heads down and our mouths shut and stay silent and step away from the mission of Jesus. It's pretty hard, isn't it? It's pretty hard when, uh, if we're honest. Now, I wonder whether you remember why Luke Acts was written, this two-volume history of the early church. Anyone remember? Well, Luke gives us his reason for writing Luke Acts. Uh, Luke 1 3 should come up on the screen. He says, I've, I've carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. 
Luke's purpose in writing Acts is not so that we'll just go, oh, that's an interesting thing about the early church, but so that we would have certainty about the mission we've been given. And as you read chapters 13 and 14, and do try and read both these chapters, the place this morning where Luke wants us to put certainty is in the message of God, in the news of Jesus. Uh, I'll just flick through 13 and 14, chapter 13, 15. If you have any message of encouragement, it just keeps coming up time and time again, this repetition of the message. Verse 26, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. Verse 44, the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. We get it in verse 46, we get it in verse 48, in chapter 14, we get it in verse 3, in verse 25, we get another mention of the message. There's loads of talk about the message peppered through these two chapters. And Luke has designed these two chapters to give us confidence. Among the contrasting responses of rejecting and rejoicing that we see in the world around us, he's written these chapters to give us confidence in the message of Jesus. I've got four points this morning to give us confidence. We'll go quickly. We'll try and be short. Um, Four points that should give us uh, confidence to speak the message, to take the message, and to live the message of Jesus. First point, we see, uh, sorry, I should have said, we're going to focus in on 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 Paul's sermon in chapter 13. So just uh, have a look at that. We're going to focus there. We're not going to try and cover everything. And from this sermon, we get these uh, four points. So the first point we get is um, that the message of God is a message with history. And that's verses 16 to 25. Now, the big point that Paul is making in verses 16 to 25 is that the whole of the Bible points to Jesus. So did you notice in verses 16 to 22, he takes care of the Old Testament. In verses 23 to 25, he covers the pre-Jesus New Testament. Did you notice just how quickly Paul covers the Old Testament? He covers it. He rattles it off in 146 words. I can't even order a takeaway in 146 words. Uh, Verse 17 and 18 covers the Abraham and Moses years. Verse 19 covers Joshua. Verses 20 and 21 covers the rule of the judges, Samuel and King Saul. And verse 22, we land on King David. Paul, Paul lines up Israel's history and takes us through All of these would-be rescuers of God's people. But did you notice who the protagonist is? It's God. God chooses. God exalts. God gives. God removes. God raises. All the way through those verses. And what we see is God, through history, raising up, uh, raising up rescuer after rescuer. And he does that to give us the job description of the ultimate rescuer who would rescue God's people forever. King David gets close. Did you notice that? Verse 22. But no cigar for him. 
It is Jesus who delivers the goods. Verse 23. Paul's uh, racing through his sermon to get to verse 23. From this man's descendants, according to the promise, God brought the Savior, Jesus, to Israel. Paul says Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the judge. He's, he's better than the kings because he is all of them rolled up into one perfect Savior. See, none of the Old Testament rescuers could do the job of rescuing God's people. But Paul says, Jesus is God's perfect rescuer. The Old Testament promised him. The New Testament delivered him. We read... um, the Jesus storybook to our kids at home. And the strap line for that uh, kid's Bible is every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. And every story in the Old Testament does whisper Jesus' name because it all points to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. God's message has one massive history. Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are part of that history. You're part of that history. This is the story that you belong to. This is the movement of God that you are part of through time, through history, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And to us here in little old Kirribilli. I've got great admiration for surfers. I've tried surfing a couple of times. I'm pretty hopeless. Kim's laughing. Um, I've tried it a few times. Can never get and stand up. Uh, my friend took me out once. I was on the board, uh, floating around like shark bait. That Jaws theme going through my head. Just couldn't get to grips with it. Well, surfers here. I'm sure there are surfers here. Surfers and non-surfers. Look at the wave that we've been given to surf from God. As his message uh, goes from, as his message goes from history to eternity, as his message goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, we ride this wave of God, living the message, taking the message, speaking the message. Don't worry. Don't worry if you're rubbish at this. Many of us feel rubbish at this. I feel rubbish at this. But Jesus has taken care of it, even that. That's how good a king he is. That's how good a rescuer he is. And that's our next point this morning. That we can have confidence in this message because it is the message of the king. That's verses 26 to 37. Verses 26 to 37. Focus on Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Did you notice that? And again, the focus is on the fulfillment of God's plan. Verse 27. Even though the Jewish Bible boffins couldn't see Jesus as that fulfillment of God's promises, Paul says that in their rejection of Jesus, they were actually fulfilling God's promises themselves. When the Romans uh, were executing Jesus, Paul says, 
that God was executing his plan to enthrone his king. It's amazing, isn't it? You read the New Testament, and you may think that the bad guys won, but the Bible doesn't think so. The bad guys didn't win. They didn't have the last laugh. God did. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. That's where Paul wants to get to. He wants to get to the resurrection of Jesus. And he selects three Old Testament prophecies to outline the significance of the resurrection. So he goes to Psalm 2. He goes to Isaiah 55. He goes to Psalm 16. And all of those prophecies go on to explain that Jesus is God's perfect, eternal king who would rescue and rule God's people. You see, the problem with all the saviors in the Old Testament is that they either died or they messed up massively. In most cases, they messed up and they died. Even Israel's pin-up boy David is in the grave. He died, verse 36. But not Jesus. God raised him physically, and his body did not decay. So you can go and dig up all the graves in Jerusalem. Probably get arrested for doing it. You can dig up all the graves in Jerusalem, but you will not find Jesus' body there. Jesus is God's promised, perfect, and permanent king. And he sits on his throne now. He reigns over every man, woman, and child on this planet now, whether they recognize his rule or not. Now, I know we don't get the concept of a king. We think of brass bands and corgis. But we understand the the concept of power and the concept of rule. Well, Jesus' power and Jesus' rule is infinitely greater than all the world's leaders and all the world's armies put together. Friends, this is the confidence that Christians have. That this Jesus, this perfect permanent king who reigns now, lives in you 24-7. See, he's given us his spirit to carry out his mission in his world. That's what we see in Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really is the Acts of the risen Jesus, working through his people, through his, by his spirit. We do God's mission. We do, so we do not do God's mission on our own. We, do, we are not alone. God doesn't leave us bobbing around in the surf. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? He gives us his spirit so that he does the mission through us. Gives us great confidence. When you walk into the office, you take with you the full power of the king. When you get branded a weirdo for uh, uh, praying, uh, talking about prayer with your colleagues, and uh, when you get branded a weirdo for having an invisible friend... Be confident that your invisible friend would smash Obama and smash Abbott in an arm wrestle any day of the week. When you speak the message of Jesus, you do so with all the might and power of God's eternal king behind you. 
Friends, you're not alone. We are not alone. The message you live, the message you speak, the, the message you take with you is the message of this powerful king who sits on high, enthroned in heaven and rules now. I know we all feel hopeless at speaking about Jesus. It's intimidating, isn't it? But we do not do it on our own, but in the strength and power of Jesus. And Jesus, he is worthy of living for, and he is worth speaking about because he gives us great, great hope. Hope that the world desperately needs and desperately wants, whether they know it or not. And that's our third point, that the message that we take is a message of hope. Verses 38 and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Did you see the hope there? Uh, what's the offer? What's on offer as we speak uh, the message of Jesus? Well, forgiveness of sins is on offer. And justification for anyone who believes. Justification is just a, a Bible word that means we are seen as perfect in the sight of God. And perfection is the dress code for heaven. It's the dress code for heaven. And on our own, we will not get in. Not even through obeying the law of Moses. See, sin bars our way to heaven. It stops us from obeying the law of Moses. And it puts us on a pathway to hell. The Bible makes it clearly clear and warns us that if we are not going to heaven, we're on a path to hell. Sin bars our way to heaven. See, on our own, we are, we're like the adulterous husband whose wife has changed the locks on the family home. Our sin means that we cannot get in. Well, Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection wipes the slate clean and gives us back the keys and opens the door and says, come into my family. Friends, we all need this forgiveness. Because if we don't get it, we're not going to heaven. And the Bible makes it a very serious warning about the alternative. I spend a, a lot of time in cafes during the week, and one of my favorite things to do in cafes is to eavesdrop on people's conversations. Don't, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, I love eavesdropping on people's conversations. And this week I've been listening in on what people uh, say they need. So I've heard uh, uh, people say, we need an extra room and a bigger garden. Someone else said, I need this deal to work out to prove, my, prove myself to the boss. I need to meet someone who will love me for who I am. We need to get the mortgage paid off so that we can start to relax. Don't ever go to a cafe where I am. Um, <laughs> see, all these people that I heard this week, they all think they know their greatest need. But their greatest need is not any of those things. But to have their sins forgiven and be justified before a holy God. You see, the hope that we have in Jesus is that Jesus is better than any comfort. It's better than any uh, business deal. It's better than any romance. 
And so we can, pre- and when we know that, we can press on with the mission of God. I wonder whether you notice chapter 14, verse 22, as, uh, as they go through persecution, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, chapter 14, verse 22, they say this, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. The hope that Jesus gives us allows us to say that. Uh, we can be confident that we need forgiveness of sins first. And we can be confident that our friends need their sins forgiven first. And we can be confident that this message of God enables that. It's a message of great hope. Uh, Fourthly and finally, this message is a message to rejoice in. Again, as you uh, read through chapters 13 and 14, you see these really opposing responses of rejection and rejoicing in Iconium. It's pretty funny. They get, uh, they get, ne- they get uh, mistaken for gods as they preach the message, and then they get stoned. Um, couldn't get further from the truth. They get worshipped, and then they get beaten. Well, Paul's uh, sermon finishes with a great warning in verse 40 of rejecting the message. He says, so be aware, sorry, chapter 13, verse 40, back in chapter 13. He says, so be aware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. And what he's talking about is this quote from Habakkuk. And and Habakkuk describes God's Old Testament people uh, uh, of not believing what God is doing in the world. Describes it as scoffing. And in Habakkuk, uh, God is raising up the Chaldeans uh, to pass judgment on God's people. And they do not believe it and they are scoffing. Uh, Paul warns us here not to be scoffers at what God is doing in our world. We are not to stop the wave of God's grace that we've experienced, the wave of God's grace that has met us, and, and the wave of God's grace that we are put on. Do you know what the uh, England cricket fans do when the Australian fans start doing the Mexican wave around the cricket stadiums? Anyone know? It just goes, so the wave, the, 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 the Australians can only do the, uh, the Mexican wave and sing Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, so it goes, round, it goes round the stadium, all the way around the stadium. Everyone is going up, 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 until it gets to the English fans. And the English fans stand up and they all turn to the Australian fans and just wave back at them. And it stops the wave dead in its tracks. Friends, let's not be a church like that. Let's not stop the wave of God's grace, this movement and mission of God in its tracks. Let's not be the ones who silence the message. Let's not be the ones who live lives as though we are just like everyone else in Sydney. Let's not have lips that dare not speak the message of Jesus to our friends, to our work colleagues. When people ask us why we do what we do. Friends, we can have great confidence in this message. It's a message to rejoice in, not to reject. Well, in conclusion, I want to just charge you uh, to make history. 
the same history that we've seen from the Old Testament to us, I want to charge you to make history by speaking, living, and taking the message of Jesus. I read a depressing article this week in The Spectator, and it predicted that Christianity in the UK uh, would be extinct by, by uh, 2067. Now, I reckon Australia is about six years behind uh, the UK, and that gives us 58 years. 58 years if this Spectator article is right. Of course, it can't be right, can it? Because it's God's mission. It's God's mission, and he will complete it. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says, God has a plan to unite all things under Christ at the end of time and history. And so we can be a church confident in, convicted of, committed to living the message taking the message and speaking the message of Jesus to our world. Let's pray that we would do that. Our Father, we are blown away when we look back at history, when we look back at the Old Testament and see what has happened, what you have done in your world to enable us to hear the message of Jesus. Father, we And know that it is the message of your King, the work of your risen Son, who is at work through us and in us. And Father, we do ask that we would trust you, that we would know the hope that we have in the gospel of sins forgiven and justification before you. And Father, would we take that to your world. Help us to be bold. Make us like Paul. Make us fit for your mission, we pray. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would indeed be those who rejoice in your message and not reject it. For Jesus' sake. Amen.